0: Good morning, Graham. You take your Bibles, a copy of your scriptures, whether on your phone or uh, and turn to the book of James. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I want to invite you to take that Bible that's in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 1011. We'll be in the book of James. It's been a couple of months since we've been here, uh, but uh, I trust you'll be encouraged by God's word this morning. A famous and very successful coach was speaking to uh, a group of athletes. And he was uh, getting ready to explain what he thought was vital and important for them to hear, the three fundamentals of sports. And, and, and certainly uh, this coach would uh, carry such a weight that uh, athletes would be on the edge of their seat because they'd want to know, what is he going to tell us that is so important? And so number one, he said, listen to the instructions the instructions that the coaches give you really hear it number 2 embrace the instruction wholeheartedly and number 3 go execute the instruction simple right it's almost like this coach which is probably not true but is like he's reading from the book of James Look at our text in James 1, 22 to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in in the mirror, for he looks at himself and, and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We could make this a very short message. Go home early and just say, James telling us, obey the word. That's the simple message, right? Or as the shoe company Nike would tell us, just do it. That's all, that's all James is, is telling us. It's a grateful response to God's word when we submit uh, to God's authority and do his will. It's actually the evidence that you have a relationship with God, that you obey him. Listen to 1 John 2, 3. And we can be sure that we know him, that we know God if we obey his commandments. But the scriptures tell us, That at the heart of humanity, we are bent on rebelling against God. All we do is have to go back to Adam and Eve, right? They disobeyed God's direct word. In reality, we're all rebels. We all disobey. None of us can escape this. We all fail to perfectly obey God. No one's perfect in this. As believers, we have this internal desire to do good and obey. That's what God has given us. But we often find ourselves disobeying and doing the very thing that we hate. There's a tug of war that's going on inside of us. Can any of you identify with this? Every single day, there's this internal tug, do what is right, and finding yourselves doing the very thing that you hate. Now, James' word to us is very clear cut, it's plain, it's straightforward. We, we don't have to wonder what James is trying to communicate to us. It's not hard to understand, but it is not always easy to obey. It's difficult, it can be costly. It, it's un, it, it is as uncomplicated as saying, Yes, I will do this. But acting on what we're supposed to do is no piece of cake. Obedience at the heart of it means I have to change. We all know how change is, right? We don't like it. It's, it's often hard. And, and then especially you can talk about what's going on internally. It's one thing to talk about making some changes externally, but changing internally is far harder. Stopping old habits, starting new habits, resisting those fleshly, sinful desires, putting off the old life. Don't want to live like that anymore. But then trying to put on the new life? Most changes do not happen overnight. Most changes take a long time. It's gradual. It's slow. We take a couple of steps forward. We find ourselves going backwards. This, this is normal. This is common for us. The concern in James is this issue of a divided heart. And James talks about this a lot throughout the book. He uses the term double mindedness uh, On one hand, we find ourselves going, I want to trust you, God. And then the next minute, we find ourselves doubting. Is this the God in whom we know? Am I supposed to trust him now? We say, I love you, God. I want to do what you called me to do. And then the next minute, we're, we're loving the world. We're loving sin. We're loving money. The, the, the picture here is that we are broken, sick people in need of medical help. That's the reality of it, Right? James is like this phys- physician and he's prescribing to us the medicine we need for our souls. And so today in our text we're going to uh, I think it shows us very clearly how obedience makes us spiritually healthy. Obedience makes us spiritually healthy, healthy. Obeying God makes us whole. So we're going to look at three healthy benefits to obedience. Three healthy benefits to obedience. We're going to look at how it protects us from self-deception, how it frees us to flourish, and how it molds us to be like God. So obedience protects us from self-deception. Who's in danger of being deceived? Are you thinking about yourself right now? Uh, Surely not me. Surely not you, right? We must be talking about someone outside these walls. Remember, James is not writing to unbelievers. He is writing to church-going people who regularly hear the Word. That's who he's talking to. People like you and me. People like you who attend Bible studies. Young kids who go to Sunday school and hear the Bible taught over and over. Dr. James is Diagnosing the human heart, and he's warning us how easy it is for us to be deceived. Three times in chapter 1, he's concerned that believers will be misled. And so we know from the Word of God that from birth, our hearts are deceived, right? Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our souls are corrupted by sin. They're they're wrapped in layers of lies. None of us can rightly understand all that's going on inside of our hearts. We have wrong views of God. We have wrong understanding of ourselves. We we perceive uh, wrongly about those in the world. We we are prone to, to believe lies. When we become a believer, of course, uh, God opens up our eyes. He actually sheds light on our dark hearts. And the Holy Spirit convicts, and he corrects our wrong thinking with the word of God. But as Christians, we are still susceptible to deception. We are apt to believe something that's not true. True about God or true about us, it doesn't matter, but but we, we are prone to that. And so James warns us, don't merely hear the word. You come here week after week, don't merely hear the word. Listening is not enough. Hearing information without application leads to self-deception. How many Christian truths go in one ear and out the other? Happens all the time, right? With no change of, change of actions. Here's what I think happens uh, in, in reality. Um, many times, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to a sermon, uh, you're in a Bible study, and we're, we're hearing good truths. And we're, we're learning, and, and uh, our minds are stimulated by truth. And, and we're learning something new, or we're just finding ourselves refreshed by what God has taught us in his word. Our hearts are worn because we're going, like, that's, that's, I believe that. I, you affirm the truth, and you walk away going, I cannot deny it, and, and, and you feel good about what God is teaching you. you. You even sit there at times, and you go, I'm convicted of sin, but I know I need to hear that, and here's the problem. We equate the learning experience with obedience, We think, just because I've learned something, that must mean that it's a reality in my life right now. That's usually far from the truth. The mind is easily deceived. In reality, uh, there's many things that we have learned that we've not put into practice. We've walked away and and not done what God has told us to do. How many sermons have you heard and and you thought in your head, I need to change. I need to do something about that. I I need to go in a different direction. And then Monday comes along, and you can't even remember what the sermon is about. Right? And certainly you haven't actually practiced that because you can't even remember tomorrow what what it was all about. Think about it. Why do teachers give homework? Of course, the torture kits, right? I mean, that, that would be the whole purpose. No, because... Just because you learned something in the classroom doesn't mean that you're practicing it. And so you take the homework home in order to practice what you have heard inside the classroom. We hear and learn truth, but the difficult part is changing. I can tell you that I've attended uh, many pastors' conferences, heard great messages by uh, superior great uh, speakers, and it, it's just simply easy to believe the lie oh i'm a better pastor now because i've learned some things that can be just furthest from the truth the reality is if we don't put it into practice we're only deceiving ourselves james illustrates this with something that happens every day i suspect it happened to most of us here uh, uh this morning you you wake up and you get ready to go about your day and and you take some time to look at yourself in the mirror right we all have mirrors in our homes the mirrors show us what needs to change in order to improve our physical appearance, right? Some of us take longer at this than others, but, but, but nonetheless, uh, that's the point of it, right? In our text, there's this man that sees problems with his appearance, but he doesn't do anything to fix it. He sees maybe an ugly, selfish attitude, he, he has this prideful heart that's been revealed, he, he, he realizes he lacks compassion, but he goes away and quickly forgets what he's seen. We, we, we could say that he has disregarded the truth of what he's seen by looking in the mirror. But he hasn't really forgotten. I, I, I think what James is pointing to is he's actually ignored the word. And he's ignored what needs to change. Can I pick on you, young kids, for just a minute? You teenagers. Uh, suppose your mom and dad come in and they say, uh, "Look at your room, and it's a mess, and there's dishes around, and there's toys to be picked up," and 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 they say, "You you need to clean your room. You need to pick up uh, your stuff." And and uh, and so they walk away, and they come back later, and only to find that you haven't done what you're supposed to have done. And many of kids at this point have said, Oops, I forgot. We all know that you didn't really forget, but you decided that something else was a higher priority than doing your chores. Many times, forgetting is really just ignoring what we ought to do. And again, because change is hard, it's not hard for us to relate to this reality that we hear the word of God and we're faced with the truth of God's word, but we don't want to do it. So we ignore it. We pretend that we don't need to change. We pretend that everything is okay. We're all guilty of this at times, of ignoring what God has said. One uh, preacher illustrated it like this. He says there uh, a business owner uh, went overseas and left us in charge of his business while he was away. He says, uh, I'll write you regularly to give you instructions so you know what to do. The months go by, the letters keep arriving, and we read them. But months later, the owner returns only to find that the grass is uncut, the windows are broken. The staff is unoccupied, and things in general just look like chaos. The only finds you and asks, what is going on? And here's how the conversation goes. Letters? Oh, yeah, sure. Got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we had letter studies every Friday night since you left. We've even divided all the personnel into small groups and discussed many things that you wrote. Some of those things were really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us actually committed to memory some of the sentences and paragraphs. One or two memorized an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. The business owner responds, okay, okay, Uh, you got my letters, you studied them, and you meditated on them, and discussed them, and even memorized them, but what did you do about them? And he responded, do? Uh, We didn't do anything about them. James' emphasis is clear, isn't it here, right? Obedience is the priority. Don't think that you can come here on a Sunday morning or attend a Bible study or do personal devotions. Read the Word and walk away and do nothing about it. We're only deceiving ourselves. Obeying God improves our spiritual health. Otherwise, we're just deluding ourselves. The spiritual mirror shows us our sin, and it shows us our need of change. The change means, of course, to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to change in our actions. While our outer body is wasting away in the mirror, God is in the business of making our inner person healthy and whole. And that happens through obedience. Theologians call this the sanctification process. Ultimately, obedience transforms us to look more and more like Jesus. So not only does obedience protect us from self de Deception, but obedience frees us to flourish. It frees us to flourish. We all know that there's times we don't want to obey, right? We know what we ought to do, but we just don't want to do it. Your heart's not in it, you're tired. You know that this obedience will be difficult. When my daughter Gabby was real young, there were many times she didn't want to do what she was supposed to do many times today that she sometimes doesn't want to do what she's supposed to do. In her limited vocabulary, she would just repeat this phrase when she was really young, don't want to, don't want to, and that that was a common phrase that happened a lot. Uh, When she reached adulthood, we started to notice this uh, pattern of behavior where she would talk to herself, talk to herself often, and repeat -repeat things, uh, and and, uh, this is a common trait with those with Down syndrome. It's called self-talk. And, and it actually can be useful, helpful, helpful to them. And so now at certain times, uh, we, uh, when Gabby's supposed to do something, what you'll find her doing is going, Gabby, you need to obey. Gabby, and she'll talk to herself. I wonder if that's what we need to do sometimes. Amen. Tell ourselves we need to obey. It's a coping mechanism. And I think in verse 25, James gives us a coping mechanism when we don't want to obey. To the one who obeys the word, James says, the person will be blessed in what he does. Here's our motivation God has is, is, is set up uh, a, a motivating factor for us to obey. James is echoing the words of Jesus in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. God has put in place a natural reward system when we do what he commands. Blessing and benefits come when we obey, even when we don't feel like it. When we choose to disobey, of course, we're cheating ourselves out of God's blessing. In order to experience this blessing, James lays out a process for us to follow. We have to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and then persevere in it. It it all starts with looking closely at the Word of God. It's staring at the mirror of the Word so that uh, God might be revealed to us and God might reveal who we are and, and reveal ourselves to us. Sometimes I think we're just in too much of a hurry, right? Quickly read something and walk away. James is going, soak it in. Uh, And and maybe just a helpful approach, and I'm sure you've heard this many times before if you've been around uh, Bible study before, but let's ask some questions of the text. I I mean, what does the text just say? You know, just make some observations about the text. Pay attention to the details. And then what does the text mean? What, what is the author trying to communicate to us? But, but the last question is vital, right? What are you going to do about it? So much of Bible study sometimes can be we want to know what it means. We want to grow in knowledge. And that's all good. But if it stops there, there's that's where James would encourage us. No. Uh, application to the word is what he's emphasizing. We need to figure out uh, whether you're reading your Bible this coming week and you ask yourself some important questions of the text, uh, how should this text affects my, affect my thinking? H- how should it affect my attitude? How should it affect my behavior? We, we should be able to walk away from any given text and, and, and ask those questions because we're bringing the truth of God home to our lives so that it's a reality instead of just thinking in our head. When we live out the word in obedience, we experience the blessing of freedom. We all love freedom, right? Uh, but for us as Americans, it's hard to grasp how law brings freedom, right? We think laws restrict us to doing what we want to do. And so it's, it's foreign to us. We're like born rebels here in America. Uh, I remember talking to a young man several years ago and, and his pushback to becoming a, <clears throat> to becoming a Christian was that he had to obey the Bible. He realized that following Jesus meant that he had to change his life. <clears throat> and he didn't want to change his lifestyle. He, he, he loved reckless living. He loved getting drunk. But we all know how enslaving sin can be, right? It's not freedom to be able to do what you want, only to be enslaved to a substance. It gives us temporary pleasure, but it's not freedom. Freedom. One commentator, I think, was helpful in understanding freedom. He said, removing a fish from the water does not give it more freedom, but less. It's designed to live in the water. Water does not give it, it, not apart from it. It's designed to live in the water, not apart from it. Freedom from water is the removal of constraint, but it is also for the fish a complete misunderstanding of what freedom really is. God has designed all of us, right? All of humanity to love and obey Him. But but maybe somebody here, or somebody that is maybe watching us online, feels like a fish out of water. I mean, in other words, are not not living life according to God's word, and and the law of God is convicting, and 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 reveals our sin and the call that James would ultimately be pointing us to is obey the gospel the gospel is to be obeyed right when we repent and believe that that, that, that's a change of thinking that results in a change of lifestyle we repent of our sins and we trust in Christ and when you submit your life to Christ he changes you and enables you to obey. The gospel frees us to do what we ought to do. To do what we were designed to do, which is love and glorify God. <clears throat> this is where freedom starts. Jesus said it like this in John eight thirty one and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Continuing on and persevering in obedience is so vital. You want to quit? How many times have you thought, I don't want to do this one more time, I want to give up? But change is never a quick fix. The Bible must be continually applied to our hearts over a lifetime. Why else would God give us, uh, tell us regularly to gather with believers under the word of God? So don't give up. Remain faithful. And if you fall, get back up. When you persevere in obedience, we flourish and we grow. Just like a plant. You continue to water it. You you continue to give it sunlight. And it blooms and brings forth fruit. Lastly, obedience molds us to be like God. Obedience molds us to be like God. How many times have you heard and maybe have even used this, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You've heard that, right? I've, I've used it before in a given context. When people say it, they, of course, mean that you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus and, and not to be uh, caught up in uh, a religion where you exercise and practice dead rituals. Uh, one person described these rituals like this. Uh, you don't have to knock on doors, shave your head, avoid meat, or ride a mountain bike while wearing a tie to be religious. right? And so we understand that type of religion. Saying Christianity is not a religion sounds right, right? It ring, it, but, but when you read James here in these last verses, it doesn't ring true. L- look at again at their text in verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So what James does is that he actually identifies two types of religions. There's true religion, and there's false religion. There's a religion that is acceptable, To God, and there's a religion that is unacceptable to him. Now, now to be clear, James is not saying that we need to earn God's favor. You need to, you know, do good works in order to be acceptable. As we know, every other religion in, in the world teaches, right? That you need to do good deeds in order to be accepted by God. But but the Bible says we come to God empty-handed. The only thing we bring is our sins, right, to him. And when we repent and receive Christ by grace, it drives our behavior and changes the course of our lives. Following God's word transforms us. Obedience changes us. Many of you here today could give testimony of how Christ has changed the entire course of your life. And you could praise God for that. We also know that there are people in the church who profess to be a Christian, and their life hasn't changed. It just continues in the same direction it was going. The exercise of true religion molds us to be holy like God. Remember, James is deeply concerned that Church-going people will not merely listen to the word and, 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 and not neglect it. James gives us three evidences of, obedient, of the obedient life in, this, in these verses. Uh, they aren't the only proof of genuine faith, but here are some evidences that James thinks is important for us to, to get a hold of. They, they substantiate to us that we're actually living according to the word, that we're actually doing what he said. So he, he gives us basically this long layout of uh, don't merely listen, do the word, and here's, and here's the reason why. Uh, I'm going to give you some tangibles that you can work through and say, is this true of my life? And if it is true of my life, uh, th- then, then there's some affirmation that I am actually walking in obedience to the Lord. Number one, controlling your tongue. This one is daunting, right? Immediately. Who who, who can't think about some of the things that come out of our mouths? Our speech is an indicator of spiritual health. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, of course, all speech starts in the heart. James uh, deals in depth, of course, with the tongue in chapter 3. He says, there is no one who can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. This is completely sobering, right? Does anybody feel good about everything that they've said? It's convicting. The sins of the tongue are endless. So it'd be helpful just to give a couple of samples, right? Complaining, grumbling, whining, whatever we want to call it. How easy is that to do? Or gossip, you share bad news about someone behind their back with a heart that intends to do harm? You slander someone's good name? Or lying? You know, maybe we don't straight out lie, but we just exaggerate a little. We twist the truth a little. How easy is that to do? Happens all the time, doesn't it? If we don't have a tight rein on our speech... James says our religion is useless. We discredit our testimony. We're giving evidence of not obeying the word. This is almost like a test he wants us to think through. Believers ought to have a measure of control in what they say. We will not be perfect in our speech. Nobody's perfect. But James is concerned that that, that there ought to be a, a pattern in which Christians are growing and controlling what they say. Number two, he says caring for the vulnerable. Caring for the vulnerable. Pure religion imitates God the Father, a God who helps the helpless. The Psalms tell us that that God is a father to the fatherless. James, by identifying orphans and widows who really couldn't take care of themselves, there was no government assistance at this point in time. They often couldn't work in order to gain money. They, they were in a desperate situation. But James is really, I think, focusing just on a category of people, a category of people who are destitute. And so I think we could add any number of individuals to this list, and so we could expand the list. We could say maybe people in convalescent homes that can't help themselves. Or or maybe some of uh, individuals who are homeless, who are in a desperate situation and can't get out of it. Or or refugees. Or the disabled. Or maybe even some in prison. The evidence of true faith and true religion is that you have compassion for the vulnerable and the defenseless. That should be the mark of a Christian heart. Your heart, if you have Christ in you, ought to naturally respond to that person is in need and I ought to care. I ought to try to provide for them. I, I, I ought to care for the needy and destitute. The proof that we obey the word is that we show care for those in need. We should cons- be concerned to support them. If we're calloused to people in need, it's an indicator that we're spiritually sick. So, who are you helping? Who are you caring for? There's a whole world of people in great need, right? The Christian ought to respond with, I want to step up and I want to care for those in need. We become more like God when we look after those in need. Lastly, James says we need to keep clear of moral pollution in our world. Keep clear of moral pollution in our world. Believers have to guard themselves uh, against the world that we're in, right? It's easy for the world to rub off on us. I think James is making a connection here in in, in verse 27. Uh, Keeping oneself unstained from the world and connecting that with caring for orphans and widows. Here's the connection. The value system of the world is to look after yourself, right? It's all about self-interest. It's selfishness. Their motto is, it's all about me. I got to take care of number one, right? He's concerned that believers not be indifferent towards others. That's a worldly uh, value. Uh, we need to uh, care about others. Uh, that that we would even not even financially take advantage of those who are, are in need of help. The way we relate to people is a direct people in need is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. It's a difference between true religion and a religion that is useless. Well, one pastor uh, tells a story of a gray-haired old lady, a long member of the church, and she was shaking hands with the pastor after the service on Sunday morning, and, and she says, that was a wonderful sermon, she explained. Just wonderful. Everything you said applies to someone I know. Well, be reminded that you don't have to go obedience alone. You don't have to obey God alone, right? We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to encourage us. Uh, We ought to be giving testimony uh, to others of what God is teaching us and how he's growing us to obey. Uh, We ought to ask each other, you know, what what is God uh, teaching you through obedience? And, And then, finally, we need to celebrate and praise God how he's changed us through the mirror of his word, right? In closing, think of this. Maybe this morning you've sat here and things have come to your mind. What is God telling you to do? And what's holding you back? As the coach said, go execute God's instruction. Let's pray. Father, uh, we cannot obey you without your spirit, and so we ask for grace and mercy to be faithful to you, to grow in our obedience, for those areas of our lives where we struggle to submit to you, uh, to do your will, Lord, we are asking and praying uh, that you would change us, Uh, you would uh, give us what we need to honor you in our lives uh, Lord help us uh, help may you reveal to us the areas in which we are deceived and where we need to grow uh, may you uh, empower us uh, to exhibit uh, our faith through what we do we pray in Christ's name Amen